0: Hey everyone, Dave Broadbeck here. The lecture you're about to hear is for psychology, also biology, uh, 3506, Neuropharmacology, and it's for the, uh, I guess, winter of 2018.
1: Enjoy. Heya Tom, it's Bob, from the office down the hall. It's good to see you, buddy,
0: how have you been? Okay, Okay, uh, if you're new to the class. Uh, which, I don't know, for some reason this is becoming more and more popular as the hours go by. Uh, You can get a course outline at my website. You can get all the notes and stuff at my website. My website is davebroadbeck.com. I don't use the CMS. I don't even know what an enrollment key is. So don't ask me. (coughs) Excuse me. So, Anyway, so that's that. Remember, you go to my website, DaveBroadbeck.com. I feel like a jerk every time I say that. I don't know why, but I do. Let's do that. Uh, a lot of this stuff... If, how many people here took random behavior with me? 26.06 with me. A These are going to seem exceedingly familiar slides. There's a really good reason for that. I took the
2: same slides. <laughs>
0: um, I'll probably... Basically, what... The point of this lecture is to make sure everybody's on the same page as far as the sort of background, basic neurochemistry stuff. Um, the book has a really nice treatment of this stuff, so feel free to read that, obviously, as well. But So the level of understanding I want you to have, I think this will be helpful. Okay, this should be pretty useful. So, oh, it looks much better than that. This looks horrible, but... This looks nice. So, the book is actually called Drugs and Behavior. Okay. Um, when I first taught this course, I actually taught it at the Royal University of Newfoundland based on the book written by a professor from the Royal University of Newfoundland called Drugs and Behavior, which is that book. Okay. So we have to know a bit about how the nervous system works to understand, basically... This sort of basic, like I said, basic neuroscience of this whole thing. Nervous systems basically made up of, I've said How many times have I said basically the last Like 11? Is it 11? I think it's 11. Um, nervous systems made up basically... I'll it again! Put a shock collar on me or something. And just Nervous system is made up of two kinds of... neurons, they do the communicating in our glial cells, they do the support functions. That's probably the last I will speak of glial cells in this course. No. <laughs> Sean likes glial cells, apparently a huge <laughs> glial cell fan. We all have our favorite kind of glial cell, I like the astrocytes myself, we am a good Schwann cell. Um, doesn't matter a whole lot for our purposes, because mostly we're going to talk about how communication in the nervous system is changed somehow, that's what ends up changing the behavior changing the cognition. That's where the interesting sort of cognitive effects happen. Can drugs affect glial cells? Of course they can. But it's not really our concentration. So the communication part's going to be more interesting. And anybody who's taken any psychoactive drug whatsoever knows that what the sort of let's say phenomenologically the interesting part of drug taking is how it affects how you think and how you behave. And that's going to be how it affects neurons. It's not really going to be how it affects glial cells. Okay? Um, Hey, look, there's a neuron. There's a nice basic neuron. I've mentioned before, this is my favorite neuron diagram. I think we all have our own favorite neuron diagram. This is mine. Some of these are jokes, by the way. Uh, Communication pretty much goes in the direction of those arrows. Again, You've taken 2606, you should have. You know that it's not really quite that simple, but that's okay. For our purposes, again, in this class, that's what we care about, is axon to dendrite, axon to dendrite, going down a neuron. You want to get all excited about dendro-dendritic synapses in your paper, and... Oh, look, go nuts. So if you want to talk about the effect of... SSRIs on dendro dendritic synapses go nuts. I don't know if there's any work on that, but that's a great essay topic if there is any. By the way, a lot of you now are starting to come out with your essay topics. So far some really nice ones. Hardly anybody's chosen one that's on that list. People are making up new ones. Where they go. Not that choosing ones on the list is bad. That's why you're there. So basically, I did it again. Transmission goes from the dendrite, through the cell body, along the axon, and out to the next neuron. Right? And you know that, and you knew that probably before taking 2606. Some interesting things about neurons, and this, let's now couch this in what we know or what we care about in this class. You have one axon, though it can have many different, what are called teleodendria, different uh, connections from one axon, and many dendrites some neurons have up to 10,000 synapses on their dendrons. Okay. A lot of cortical neurons have this. The direction of the information being sent is dendrite cell body axon. And then to next dendrite. Axons transmit information, dendrites receive information. As I said, and as you know, this is an oversimplified but for the purposes of this course that is fine. And what we're going to care about, of course, is how this this sequence is altered somehow by a drug. Dendrites grow and change. They make more connections with new axons. That actually might be the basis of learning. Not surprising. Okay questions so far? Again, this is you. Just most review. This is you. Actually, I have curious curiosity how many people took 26 of 6 but not from me. Save more. Okay, cool. And right, again, she would find the same stuff. So the neuron, it's electrical and chemicals, what's happening here? Um the resting potential of a neuron is about negative 70 millivolts. This is based on selectively allowing certain ions in. Okay. With stimulation, sodium ions rush in, and that negative 70, sodium or positive ions, and negative 70 so is going to change and eventually uh, eventually causing a fire in their own, right? Okay. Now think about this from a drug perspective. What if a drug can allow more sodium to rush through an ion channel? What if a drug can select it, can, can, can change what ions go through ion channels? Right? Drugs basically act, very often, like neurotransmitters. So they may very well affect things at this point. Right? when you get this rush of sodium into a neuron this changes the charge across the membrane at one area of the cell which now changes it at the next area of the cell Need to worry a great deal about temporal and spatial summation, things like that, things we talked about in 2606. Things you know about. Okay, questions so far? So it's an electrical chemical thing. I just think it's cool. Um evolution's really neat. It blows me away that this system works like this. The cool thing is, too, by the way, this system works the same way, and the action potential is the same. If you are a human, or a nematode, something with 302 neurons. This has been preserved. Evolution figured something out, and it works. Right? It also doesn't tend to care what color your skin is, doesn't tend to care what language you speak, what god you pray to, things like that. This all works the same way no matter what, which is also very cool. Those of you taking the evolutionary psych though, that you know, we descend probably from maybe somewhere between two and 20,000 survivors of most of uh, mammal species other than, I think, jaguars. Um, humans are really all pretty much the same, physiologically. There are some strange cases, and we'll talk about them, where there are... Sort of quote racial or ethnic differences in drug and the effects of drugs, but they're really few and far between. They're exceedingly rare, much as we'd expect because we're all so much the same. Okay. Questions so far? Expect any, but yeah, Okay. So the action potential itself. This is when the neuron fires. The resistance of a neuron, this is an electrical thing, is affected by myelin. Uh, The myelin sheath around an axon can speed up transmission. A really long axon can also speed up transmission. So some animals, some simpler animals, much simpler than us, don't have myelin. Uh, But what they do have is really long axons. Giant squid axons are that long. Though there are axons in the human body that are like a meter long. Some go into your legs, for example, which I have always found creepy and I don't like thinking about it. I mm-hmm. don't know why I don't like that. I find it odd. Yeah, Sean? Why
1: would a larger axon uh, increase the rate or the speed
0: uh, If you have a really long axon, you have less space to have uh, sodium potassium pumps along the axon. So it's basically doing the same thing as just covering it with myelin and having a sodium-potassium pump here, I and mean, not one but you know a few here, and then a few here. And there's no wrong. With it. Same idea. The way to do it with the short axon is just cover it up and have a sodium-potassium pump here, and then one here. Same idea. Good question. Um, like I said, you get less resistance to the big axon or myelinated points. The resting potential is maintained at negative 70 because of active transport. Um, pumps eventually be a and small a. so uh, Sodium pulls in potassium at a 3 to 2 ratio, so you get a net, net negative charge across the membrane. There's more positive outside, uh, outside than at yeah. Okay. Questions? That's all stuff you know. I keep saying that. I shouldn't say that whenever I'm reviewing stuff because then it probably stops people from asking questions and I shouldn't do that. And I note that every time I do that and I've been doing it for my whole career. And I'm sorry. <coughs> oh. So how's this work? Come on, animated GIF. It's not going to work. Fine, screw it. Um, if this was animated properly... Animated GIFs are useful for other things other than funny Facebook comments. Apparently not. So we're going to take some sodium out and pull some potassium in So we have three outside, two inside. We have a net, net negative charge, okay? Um, this takes a lot of energy. So a neuron, when it's at rest, is still doing this. And you have thousands of sodium and potassium pumps on every cell. It's not like it's just one. At some point, of course, the pumps can't keep up and they give up in essence. It's like if if you're thinking about, say, pumping, let's say your basement was flooding, it's a horrible thing that happened a long time ago back in Cornerbrook. You can pump the water out, but if it keeps coming back in at some point, it's not really worth running the pumping. As the guy who was going to pump out my basement set, I can charge you fifty bucks an hour, right? But I should be taking your money, throwing it outside, back into your basement. Yeah, good point. <laughs> by the way, there's no better sound than hearing the ice jam in your strain, storm drain go no, <laughs> break, and then watching all the water go down as you watch your dryer float by. <laughs> Still plugged in, by the way. And you're going, oh, that's probably dangerous. <laughs> One day, you don't. Know, I have no idea how much snow corn gets. You literally don't know what snow <coughs> is. we see—like four meters a year. And I, I'm not making that up. We have four meters of snow a year. And that was a typical day. Oh, it was that day, <laughs> that was a typical winter, and it was like the end of March, and suddenly, or as we call it there, March, and then it was suddenly ten degrees and raining. Oh, great. So then there's all these ice jams in the storm sewers. And then, like, I go to do some laundry. And that's, like, oh, basement's wet. But was an old, ba- old household basement. They get wet. Now I go back down to, uh, oh, that's up to my knees. Well, that's probably bad. So uh, immediately I start crying because, you know, I'm an adult. And uh, <laughs> so that was bad. Called the insurance people, they came by. They took a picture. And the guy said, don't worry, you're covered. I can see the bubbles coming up. It's, it's my dad gave me advice. Anything you don't want, throw in the basement, you'll get it all replaced. <laughs> uh, which I didn't do, but thought about. I don't need this TV. <laughs> I need a new TV. But uh, I'll tell you something. When you when you look out at your electrical panel and the water is rising towards your electrical panel, and I looked over to my wife, I said, the water's getting close to the electrical panel. And she says, what's that mean? I said, it means pack a bag and run. <laughs> and then that's when you think, But the idea of having a pump there would be a mistake, right? Because it's just going to pump it out. This is what happens with your sodium-potassium. With all these, they just give up because it, it would be stupid. To, your your body is an exceedingly energy efficient device, and so are these things. And at some point, we don't have to go into how, but they detect that it's not worth it anymore, and they quit. And then that causes that the. change in charge to propagate down an axon, or oh, sorry, down a dendrite um, why is this like this? instead of on and off, you hear things like the encoding might be easier, I don't see how, faster reactions, this makes a little more sense to me it's kind of like, I think you guys have all seen me do this sort of analogy before it's like a drawn bow, so when a bow is drawn, there's all kinds of watch my ear, I'm going to get, remove it, uh, there's all kinds of energy air, even though I'm not firing the arrow, yeah when I let go of the arrow, it goes it goes better than a pipe yeah, that's your really bad medieval largest just, just throwing arrows the British don't know how to use arrows properly at the Battle of Argincourt going- he's going to be so different It's a Battle of Agincourt reference Okay So the exponential happens As I said with this simulation That sort of stops the pump And it's reversed later And it's pretty quick I mean there's a refractory period That a neuron can't fire But it's pretty quick Okay so that's what's happening Sort of electrically Biochemically There's this great the longest time people figured it was something chemical. We already knew it was electrical. This goes back to Galvani, the galvanic skin response, and he hit a frog hooked up, a frog leg hooked up, uh, to a, a lightning rod, because it was 1623, and that's what you did back then. And lightning hits the lightning rod, and the frog leg moves. So it was something electrical. Von Levy figured it out in 1921. They're also doing something chemical. People already knew it was a synapse, a gap between the axon and the dendrite. So, what's doing the communication? Sherrington figured this out uh, a long time ago because electric, uh, nervous transmission was too slow. Even though, I mean, it's not at the speed of light, by the way, it's not fast like, uh, well, like electricity. It's maybe 100 meters a second. But when Sherrington measured it in a dog, it was like 10 meters a second. It was, like a, it was an order of magnitude too small. And he figured out there must be some gap between these cells. So what von Levy did is he took the uh, you know this experiment, he stimulated the vagus nerve, the vagus nerve rather, or whatever you want to call it, the frog's heart. The frog's open, it's a vivisection, it's not pretty. 1921, don't protest over the frog, it was 100 years ago. Um, and then poured a solution over that. Right, slowed the heart down, poured a solution over that, collected the solution itself, and poured over a second heart, which also slowed. Okay? So he does it electrically, but then collects a chemical. he understands that experiment, right? We talked about that before. So. He called it Vega stuff, which is German for Vegas stuff. It's actually today we call it acetylcholine. It's the first neurotransmitter that was discovered. Did the same thing with a heart stimulating the rate, and he collected it. and That's epinephrine or adrenaline. This is why, up until uh, what are those paddles called when they sh- sh- clear? You got a name right. This this right. defib- 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 That's right. But before then, beside <clears throat> heart patients' beds, it was a kit, and it involved it had uh, bone cutters, a scalpel, bone cutters, uh, a, a, a spreader, and a great big needle full of. Uh, sorry, full of effort. So you went snip, snip, snip. You had to make those noises too, or it didn't work. restart a heart. Wasn't pleasant, but it beats the crap out of the dying. New. And of course, you see the pulp fiction. But they don't spread, they just go right through the muscles. I, I hate, hate guaranteeing. As an aside. they're not any good. they all the same movie. Hey, look, it's 1973. Let's be violent. <laughs> all the same movie. <laughs> Alright. So the important thing here is the gap for us, for our purposes, in talking about drug effects. The important thing is the gap between the axon and the dendrite, the synapse. This is just simply a Greek word, by the way, synapse, that means gap. Okay, so when anybody talks about synaptic gaps, they're being redundant. It's like saying HIV virus, PIN number. That'd be crazy. Oh, you mean my personal identification number number? That's way too many things to drive me crazy. So these neurotransmitters, things like acetylcholine, things like epinephrine, go across that gap, and that's where a lot of these interesting drug effects are happening at the synaptic level. So if all the transmitter isn't absorbed into the next neuron, it can be taken back up into the originating neuron. That's called reuptake, and again. This is an important place to affect drug. Sorry, for drugs to have an effect. There are drugs that actually have these things in their names. Right? Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. If you inhibit reuptake, you're going to allow more neurotransmitter to be sitting in the synapse. So it basically mimics there being more of a neurotransmitter. So if the idea is that you don't have enough of a certain neurotransmitter, And you would want to just inject someone with a neurotransmitter because you wouldn't know where to put it. And typically you can't get those across the blood-brain area. Anyway. So instead of that, let's say there's not enough neurotransmitter being released at a certain synapse. Well, instead of trying to target this, why don't we target it by saying let's just stop reuptake? And that's what something like an SSRI or a selective of uh, dopamine lead re doesn't work. That's what he Okay. A couple diagrams you've seen before. Don't worry too much about them. As long as you get the idea that neurotransmitter molecules are released into the synapse from a vesicle. The vesicle holds somewhere between oh, 110 and 150, well, say 120, 140, I'm just hedging there, uh, molecules of the neurotransmitter. So, again, if you think about an SSRI, if you're not releasing enough, Stopping reuptake is going to have the effect of it acting as if the, neuro, the originating neuron release release neuron neurotransmitter. That's how it, something like NSSRI would work,
2: or how it actually does work. Mm-hmm.
0: Lots of variation in synapses. Uh, some are inhibitory. So we've talked so far only about excitatory neurotransmitters, uh, sorry, synapses where one neuron causes the next neuron to fire, but sometimes it makes the next neuron less likely to fire. Now, how would you do that? There's a pretty easy way to do that. Instead of allowing sodium to rush in when the neurotransmitter binds, you allow a negative ion to rush in, something like, say, chlorine. This is how benzodiazepines and barbiturates work they make the next neuron less likely to fire by making uh, an inhibitory neurotransmitter like GABA work more efficiently. Uh, They can also, barbiturates can actually open a GABA uh, chlorine ion channel on their own is what makes it really, really, really dangerous. Right? If you start making all these, neuro- all these uh, neurons less likely to fire, that slows you down. And slowing down enough kills you. Right? I said the other day, this is why depressants are typically thought of as being much more dangerous than stimulants. I mean it's not great having so much say epinephrine or dopamine being released if you have a heart attack your heart starts beating 190 beats a minute good for you but if your heart beats no times a minute you're dead also worse probably than going too fast again not saying that you should load up on stimulants all the time he said drinking coffee So We tend to think of excitatory um, synapses as a rule. Especially, say, in we basically only talk about those. Um, we think a little bit about inhibitory uh, synapses. We don't think a lot about them. We, we've, we talk about them. We talk about spatial and temporal summation in brain behavior, where that sort of vote is taken, should I fire or should I not by the next neuron. But it's... We tend to think of information flowing, not information being interrupted. But you can see, again, how something like a benzodiazepine, like diazepam, value, um, making an inhibitory neurotransmitter work a little bit better, allowing more chlorine in, would certainly slow down the response of something. Right? Which then, behaviorally, we can look and say, well, what's going to happen to, say, your reaction time? And your reaction time's going to increase, Right. It's going to take longer to react to something if inhibitory neurotransmitters are being released, where you need more inhibitory synapses firing. Make sense? Okay. So the inhibitory excitatory thing is probably due to shape. I mean, and I shouldn't say it's due to shape, that's a characteristic. GABA synapses are inhibitory. They have less postsynaptic thickening. It's not something you worry too much about. Um, glutamate synapses are <coughs> sorry, yeah, have more thickening and they have more vesicles. There's more. ego release there. Glutamate is the most common excitatory neurotransmitter in your brain. GABA is the most common inhibitory neurotransmitter in your brain. This is where I usually mention that <coughs> people who think that they have a sensitivity to MSG are crazy. Not crazy, they're even misinformed. Monosodium glutamate, salt glutamate. There's a lot of glutamate in your brain, so you're probably allergic to your own brain then. If you're afraid of MSG is delicious. Well, not on its own, it's horrible on its uh, So we add it to something that's good. Also, by the way, people say, oh, it's, 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 there's too much glutamate. Yeah, too much glutamate. If I take a um, bunch of neurons in a petri dish and pour MSG on them, they die. No shit. Also happens with milk. <coughs> Are you saying that mother's milk is a poison? I'm saying everything's a poison when you give them enough of it. I'm so afraid of things, live a little. Also, there's MSG in cheese and tomatoes. There is other things. It's just something it's about. What about the sodium? Okay, sure. What about the sure. sodium? Are you allergic to your own tears? Which sounds poignant. But it really, it's just sodium weird. Anyway, I'm just saying, don't worry so much. Also, the glutamate that you ingest when you eat MSG can't get through the blood-brain barrier, so don't worry about it affecting your brain. Eat MSG, enjoy it. I'm bagging it at home. I bought some in the store and I had it in my bag when I was like, What is this. MSG. We got to test it. Oh, great. They think I, I've got cocaine sitting in the bag. Because I'm stupid, apparently. Isn't that stuff dangerous? No. Okay. That was my impression of airport security now. Actually, most of them pretty cool. When you're trying to catch a flight, don't carry sand as a souvenir from a beach. Because they'll test that too. I'm just, that's from personal experience. Bring me back some sand from the beach. Okay, no, don't do that. <clears throat> Seven types of synapses. As you many of you know, you took brain behavior with me, or with anybody. Let's only care about axodendritic ones in this course. That's all we're going to care about. Again, as I said, if you want to go into stuff in your paper and your talk, that's wonderful. Um, and there certainly are drug effects of all these different kinds of synapses, but we're going to really care about axo-integrated synapses, axon. That's all we really care about in this class. I guess axoextracellular a little bit too, and axosynaptic, but just basically axodigitized. Okay. now this is where I talked about this in behavior about how the magic number of neuroscience for some reason is 7 there's basically 7 steps in neurotransmission now let's go through and see if we can figure out what these 7 steps not only what the 7 steps are but I'll get you guys to try to figure out what could a drug do to these steps so the first one is synthesis this is when now you get a lot of neurotransmitters actually from food you break stuff down but uh, most of the neurotransmitters that you have, you make. Your, the the um, genes in the nucleus of a neuron make the neurotransmitters, make those molecules. So, it's that synthesis. So, what could a drug do at the synthesis stage of neurotransmission?
2: It would have a functional group that's comparable
0: to a current neurotransmitter, which is brought up in the same like category, like the same area where <coughs> the drug that would normally, or the neurotransmitter that's normally there would be. Can you just clarify that a little bit? Say it with fewer words. I'm pretty slow. Um, the drug would have a similar component to what is already there. Okay. And we'll just be stored. Okay, so basically a precursor of. Yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Um, so you're saying that basically the drug could have a precursor, uh, sort of an almost finished version of that neurotransmitter, right? Yeah, and that's true. I mean, you think of something like levodopa, L-dopa, which is spelled l period dopa, and I've told you guys this before, it's not A B L dopa like L-dopa, it's not that... I say that because I wrote that on a test once as an undergraduate, and the comment from the TA was, it's not the name of a matador. Um, but L-dopa is given to people with Parkinson's disease. Right? Parkinson's is not enough dopamine being produced. So what is, is done is, again, you can't just inject dopamine to someone. Well, you can, but nothing happens. It doesn't get through the blood brain barrier. But L-dopa can, and it's a precursor to dopamine. So it's like dopamine it's almost finished. Right? So this is certainly a possibility for synthesis. Right? Other ideas? That's the one I can usually think of, but I, I anybody any have other thoughts about how you could how a drug could affect the synthesis part of neurotransmission? Yeah, that's right.
1: Oh, it could increase or decrease
0: synthesis? Yeah, how? That's. I, I agree with you. I'm just curious how you think that would work. And I'm not saying either of us are really high-end experts in neurochemistry. Uh, not even neurochemistry, sort of molecular neurochemistry. But do you have any idea how that might work? Not a clue. Yeah, okay, I me mean, neither. I mean, you could make the gene express. Like, You could have something, for example, that triggers the gene to make, I don't know, serotonin, um, express itself more quickly so I guess that could happen I haven't heard of drugs like that but I bet that's something that's all that would almost be like a like a holy grail of a pharmaceutical company because if you could give someone something that made them make more of something at the genetic level um, so it's almost gene therapy that'd be wonderful yeah that could work that could so that, that's that's a good example I like that uh, so theres there's a couple possibilities. Storage. So usually things are stored. right? It's not like and you guys know this, you've got the sort of circulating pool, there's three pools of neurotransmitters, and one of the pool is the ready releasable, and then you've got the uh, circulating ones, and then you've got the, the, the ones that have basically just been made. I don't know how drugs could affect the storage part. I can't think of anything. I don't know of any examples either. So that's probably what we can skip unless we have idea. Let's workshop a drug. We'll, we'll, we'll all patent it and become exceedingly wealthy. Exactly. Release. Okay, here we go. How could you, how could a drug affect the release? That's basically the, when release happens on fire Wait. How could a drug affect the release section? That's, in other words, that's when the neurotrans when the neuron fires. Give a thought. Oh please, sorry. Could it make firing more easy or more difficult? Yeah. And that's that's that's, that's that's one that's um is it make it more likely to fire and release more when it does fire? Release more vesicles. Uh In fact, that's how barbiturates and benzodiazepines work. They work the opposite way. They actually release, uh, make make, make GABA more GABA release. So you're ending up with something that is inhibitory. But that's exactly what they do. That's a good idea. What's another one? Another possibility. Yeah. So it's basically making things more efficient. I, I think, in essence, it's what's called a neuromodulator. Neuromodulators change the effects of neurotransmitters without being neurotransmitters themselves. And uh, benzodiazepines and barbiturates, benzodiazepines especially, are just basically positive GAVM neuromodulators. Other thoughts? What about just making neurotransmitter be released without firing? So instead of having to have a reaction, uh, sorry, a action potential, what about neurotransmitter basically leaking out? That's how a lot of the amphetamines work. All these uh, they tend to be catecholamines, so all these excitatory neurotransmitters get released without any actual fire of the cell itself. So that's a method of bending. Yeah, go ahead. With
1: uh, too much firing, so maybe like something like that, tetanus or something of like that
0: sort of like... Tetanus, I think, is... And I'm not, I need to this, Don't completely pull me I believe tetanus is uh, an acetylcholine esterase blocker. So it actually acetylcholine gets released, but there is no... acetylcholine esterase breaks down acetylcholine, so it stays in the muscle and keeps it. But I need to I know that's how a lot of neurotoxins that affect the perfumer system are. But if you're like interested in like like, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, basically but I mean the thing is it's not like you're always firing, it's just that you're releasing your transmitter. So it's
1: not the same as like action potential?
0: No, there's no action potential. It just it's like it's leaking out. How does it do that? (sighs) that's a question I don't know the answer to. Uh, magic mostly. Yeah, it's mostly magic. If I don't understand, magic. So you're getting this transmitter leakage, and that's what's happening in a lot of amphetamines, um, a lot of stimulants in general. Cause transmitter leakage. Let's see. Release. Cause more to be released. What about that one? That's basically said.
2: Those are pretty good.
0: Receptor interaction. What happens at a receptor? Neurotransmitter binds to a receptor site. and opens. It's like a lock and a key. and opens an ion channel. Ideas here. What, give me some ideas of how a drug would do this. What a drug would do at the receptor interaction stage of neurotransmission. Yeah, please. Is it possible that it could change the shape of the receptor, making it like hard for different
1: yeah. molecules and stuff?
0: That's actually a really good idea. Uh, Way to put it. When you think about something like the locksum, which is a an opiate antagonist, it's, it's actually it's interesting. The locksum is an opiate, but it, what it does is it binds to the receptor site without opening the ion channel. So you, you bind to an opiate an opioid receptor site. So now now another free opiate floating around like morphine can't bind to that receptor site and open the ion channel. I've always thought of it this way. It's kind of like how if I took a piece of gum and put it in a lock, oh, it fits perfectly into the lock. It just doesn't open the freaking door. And that's basically what naloxone does. So you cert- certainly, I mean, that's a great example right there. Like I said, naloxone, basically what it's it binds to a receptor site. It just doesn't open the ion channel. Is that for overdose? Uh, naloxone's given when an overdose is... Uh, Whenever anybody has an opiate uh, overdose when it's suspected the first thing that's done is they're just you know, given a ton of naloxone again. naloxone doesn't work as a treatment option ah, I shouldn't say that naloxone has been used as a treatment option and can be, it's somewhat controversial um, but it's mostly used as a way to basically stop an overdose from doing any, any more damage Other thoughts. That's a really good example. Receptor interaction. There's a really obvious one here that you're all missing, and you're going to say, "Oh, come on! I can't believe I didn't think of that." But I tell you, unless someone thinks of it, going once. Oh, yes, please. That's an example. I mean, when you think about cannabinoids are a neurotransmitter class. Yes, that's right. We make our own. We roll our own in our brains. We just don't make it in industrial quantities of smoke. Just like we make opiates internally. Endorphins, we just don't make the amounts that we can get from taking oxycontin. So a lot of times we can take drugs that basically are not the same molecule or so similar to something that we actually make ourselves that they mimic the neurotransmitter itself so cannabinoids are an example um, so the, the one that we tend to think of the one that will shortly be legal in this country thanks Justin um, i not being sarcastic here uh not deny THC. The one that comes to marijuana, we make our own THC. We make our own cannabinoids. Same thing with opioids, right? We make our own as painkillers. We just don't make them in giant industrial quantities. So what you're basically doing is you're taking a neurotransmitter when you take those drugs. It's, it's indistinguishable to the point where it actually opens an ion channel. basically indistinguishable to the nervous system. So while naloxone is a special case that binds to a receptor site and doesn't open an ion channel, uh, morphine acts just like endorphins. Looks exactly the same way. To the nervous system, it's indistinguishable. In fact, that's probably the most common way these things work. You'll be surprised how many of the drugs we talk about literally have receptors that are coded, that are genetically coded in our nervous system. That's because basically all we've done is we've found chemicals in nature, typically, that act exactly the same way as neurotransmitters. Inactivation. So, once a neuron Sorry. Once a no a transmitter binds to a receptor site, it is inactivated. It stops working. Try to think of it, a, a a drug that does this. I can't think of one offhand. We certainly could have a drug that would inactivate a neurotransmitter in the synapse before it would bind to a receptor site. Makes some sense. Reuptake. Well, we already talked about reuptake, right? Why don't we inhibit reuptake? So SSRIs do this, right? So like if you said total reuptake inhibitors, in the freaking name. Cocaine does this too. Do. Cocaine does this with dopamine. What cocaine basically does is it's a selective dopamine reuptake inhibitor. So suddenly you have more dopamine. Yay! Oh, I should have gone back. Uh, should realize, realized. In activation, there are drugs that do this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Can this change the pathway
1: almost permanently? <laughs> the neural pathway, that.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's your thoughts? Well, I mean, there are going to be changes in the nervous system, of course. I think it have The thing is, one what, what of the one of the issues here is that anti-drug crusaders, and that sounds pejorative because it is, <laughs> will tell you that X, Y, or Z taking those drugs changes your nervous system everything changes your nervous system. It's a matter of how much it changing your nervous system. So my talking right now is literally changing your nervous system, which means I'm a dangerous drug. It's a matter of how much. One of the things that will happen with repeated use, this is probably how you end up with Alcoholics getting the DTs, you know, so they see things and they feel things walking up their skin and all that stuff. It's probably their body making more glutamate receptors because glutamate is being depressed by taking alcohol. So, yeah, those kind of effects do happen. There's no doubt about that. The idea that changing your nervous system shouldn't be the thing you worry about, the thing you worry about is does it then make your body? Your body will try to basically adjust. So what you end up, as I said, with something like alcohol, and this is really still a guess, is that you end up with more glutamate receptors as alcohol probably depresses the glutamate system, so your body makes more glutamate receptors. So suddenly when you're not ingesting alcohol, you're more excited neurologically, which means you suddenly see the proverbial pink elephant and you feel things crawling up your arms
1: Yep. Yeah. What about with, like that reminded me with marijuana? Sometimes you hear about like an A motivational syndrome happening, where like your nervous system changes and you
0: yeah, that's th- that's still controversial. No one really knows if that's a thing, but well, yeah, I, but I know about yeah. it. I'm not saying it's it's not a, yeah. a thing. It's not necessarily a thing. I just
1: wondered
0: your thoughts. On that. Oh, about a motivational uh, syndrome?
1: Yeah. If you have any. <laughs>
0: um. I don't know, I don't mean, I'm not really motivated to think about it But <laughs> um, For the most part The problem with And this is generally a problem With, with, with research on people who take drugs Most people Don't want to go into a research study About taking drugs You know why? Because drugs are illegal And even when they're not illegal People don't want to volunteer for a study Oh, do you smoke way too much weed?
1: <laughs>
0: right? Um, or even do you drink too much? Something that's actually probably more socially acceptable. Right? You get drunk every single day. Right? That's... As long as you hold it together, that's pretty socially acceptable. Yeah. Still, people probably don't want to sign up for an, for, a, for a study like that. This is the problem with these things. So a lot of times, they don't... So there's not a lot of research. Just, there's research, but I it's mostly case studies, and the problem is that they're then obviously, because they're case studies, they're they're cherry-picked, right? I mean, And that's not a criticism of the researchers. That's all they can look at. Right? Um, Are there long-term effects of chronically taking drugs every single day, no matter what the drug? Of course there are. I mean, it's just nasty. Right? Because there's long-term effects of any kind of behavior. Right? And again, you're taking basically neurotransmitters at levels that your body isn't hooked up to take. I should go back to inactivation. This is one of the ways that um, I just realized that one of the ways you could inactivate a drug... Ah, no, let's skip that. I'll come back to it at a different stage. That stage. Degradation. Some neurotransmitter sits in the synapse, does not bind. It is not taken back up to the original neuron. It is broken down by enzymes. Things like monoamine oxidase. Monoamine oxidase, there are these class of neurotransmitters called monoamines. Right? A bunch that we'll talk about in a sec. They break down. Monoamine oxidase breaks down monoamines. What we could do, let's say we don't think you have enough monoamines they get released. After we allow more to be around, don't break down those monoamines. How do we stop that? With something called a monoamine oxidase inhibitor. It's an antidepressant. In yeah, fact, it's classified, it's normal we'll talk with those drugs. All right. So you can see probably about five of these seven. Synthesis, release, receptor interaction, reuptake, degradation. We can certainly think of that, I can think of actual examples of drugs that work this way. So really, most of the drugs we're gonna from this course are working at the synaptic level, working during neurotransmission. Neurotransmitters themselves. Uh, basically, you have to meet five different Criteria before something is labeled as a neurotransmitter. So, a lot of times in the the literature, you'll see something called a suspected neurotransmitter or a putative neurotransmitter, which is a fancy way of saying suspected. So, it's present in the terminal, it's released on firing, placing a substance on an organ or another neurotransmitter or another neuron uh, emulates firing. You have uptake for inactivation, so it's taken to the next neuron, and inactivation of that. Substance block stimulation. If you're present in the terminal, you might be a neurotransmitter. Worst comedy routine ever. So, there's somewhere between 50 and 300 of them. Because a lot of them haven't reached all five of these. Ones we know about, acetylcholine about. Now, the monoamines, now these are the ones. Whoa, now it's getting weird again. Okay. Um, I said dope. So, monoamines, norepinephrine, epinephrine, dopamine, serotonin, histamine. So, all of these are monoamines. That's good. Maybe if I just stand here like this. It's like the old days with TV and type so the cataphyl means that's norepinephrine, epinephrine, and dopamine when I talk about transmitter leakage in psychomotor stimulants those three neurotransmitters leak out when you take psychomotor stimulants like the fat serotonin is its own class and quote others is its own class histamine So these are all monoamines, and we talked about monoamine oxidase inhibitors. They're something like an NAOI will allow all of these, more of all of these neurotransmitters, to be available in the SIMS. The other class of uh, antidepressants, tricyclic antidepressants. All those monoamines again end up in, uh, they, they block reuptake of all of those. SSRIs just block reuptake of serotonin, for example. This also explains, for example, the very uh, what I think is pretty cool, fact that one of the first uh, somewhat effective drug treatments for schizophrenia wasn't, and I think you all know that, if you don't, we'll get there, but schizophrenia is basically too much dopamine. So one of the ways to deal with this would be less open, right? One of the first somewhat effective drugs against schizophrenia was actually an antihistamine. So it was a powerful drug to stop you from having a stuffy nose. It really was. So you had a bunch of people who weren't hearing voices anymore and had really clear sinuses. Um, It wasn't completely effective, but the idea of using an antihistamine was one of the first steps in the late 50s to lead, leading to the first generation of antipsychotic drugs which are really just dopamine in the So these are classics. You've heard of all these before. In fact, I should say those drugs are often also called classical neurotransmitters because they're the first set that were discovered. Uh, certain amino acids act as neurotransmitters. Glutamate is... Often called the universally excitatory neurotransmitter, and that's because it's the most common. GABA is the universally inhibitory neurotransmitter because it's the most common inhibitory neurotransmitter. There's glycine and proline, not proline, the sports betting thing, but proline. They basically those two act just like glutamate. Peptides, a very simple one called substance P. This is one of the few that we kept the original name, even though. It was a theoretical thing. Substance P is for pain transmission. It's pain uh, messages. It's interesting because people figured there must be a neurotransmitter for pain. For the longest time, they just called it substance P. It wasn't discovered. And eventually, in, oh, sometime in the early 1990s, substance P was discovered. And they just kept calling it substance people. Wish we would have stuck with Vegas stuff as well, but we didn't. Finally, ones that are going to interest us quite a bit endorphins and encephalins, which were discovered in the early 1980s. And again, people knew these must exist. By the way, the woman who led the team that discovered endorphins has kind of gone a little... (laughs) She's all into that U.E.G. Quantum consciousness Bhak Chopra stuff. She's kind of gone off the rails. No matter how smart you are, you can go off the rails a little. If you enjoy that stuff, by the way, just check out the Epoch J- Chopra quote generator. Just Google that, it's a lot of fun. Some other peptides, some which we don't tend to think of as neurotransmitters, actually act as neurotransmitters in other systems things like insulin, prolactin, growth hormone, vasopressin. We're not going to talk about those. Don't think. Mostly we're going to care about the, the, the class of neurotransmitters, substance P a little bit, and endorphins. Questions. You know what those things are think. You should. So remember, as I mentioned before, transmitters bind the receptor site. It's like a lock and a key mechanism. Receptors are basically made up of two parts it a binding site and a lineogen. Typically, one neuron mostly has one kind of neurotransmitter. Receptor. Now, it's not going to only have one kind, but it's going to massively have one kind. Because basically, you have these... <coughs> excuse me. And let's, we'll talk about... A uh, circuit we'll talk about a lot in this class, the mesolimbic dopamine system runs on dopamine. It's a dopaminergic system. Okay. But neurons will have other types of receptors, but it's pretty rare. For our purposes. I mean, I should say it's rare. It's not that interesting. So again, as I mentioned, this is where you're getting a lot of drug interaction at receptors. Okay. Questions so far? Okay. okay, the nervous system can be divided up into, for our purposes, a couple of interesting places, and that's about it. The central and the peripheral nervous system, well, it's that Fine, they make me do that. So the central nervous system, the brain, the spinal column, the communication here is entirely neural. Um, you've also got the peripheral nervous system. That's basically the rest of you. It allows sensation and movement to happen. Um, communication there is neural as well. And the autonomic nervous system, which we won't care a great deal about, we have this hormonal system would be sympathetic comparison parasympathetic that Now, I bring this up because oftentimes there are contradictory effects in the central nervous system versus the peripheral nervous system. So the central nervous system will have one kind of effect from a drug. And the peripheral nervous system you'll get the often comes with the opposite effect. I mentioned this in passing, I think, the other day. So drug conditioning effects in the central nervous system will be exactly in the same direction as the drug itself. So the drug will get you... So taking the drug and then the effect of the drug, that's a conditioned stimulus, an unconditioned stimulus, eventually the the drug taking itself becomes an unconditioned... The drug itself is an unconditioned stimulus. The drug reaction is an unconditioned response. You pair the unconditioned stimulus with the conditioned stimulus. Let's say, oh, I don't know, having a needle in your hand. Right? That becomes a conditioned stimulus. Now your brain gets ready for the drug. But your peripheral nervous system will do perhaps the exact opposite sort of so when I say gets ready for it it'll go in the same direction so you'll actually get something like this happens with alcohol do you ever notice that you get drunker around others this is actually by the way this is a uh, easily measurable thing so people report feeling drunker when they're drinking with friends than they do when they're drinking on their own maybe you don't drink on your own, more power to you I always remember that Simpsons episode. Homer, do you drink alone? Do I? <laughs> you like beer around the house? Of course I do. And he opens up the toilet. There's two beers in there. Um, so when people are drinking, they actually report, and it's not just self-reports, it's it's literally like the flicker fusion changes. I talked about flicker fusion the other day. Um that's all central nervous system stuff. The interesting thing is that peripheral nervous system stuff doesn't change. So, for example, things like your reaction time. <coughs> so a lot of times the effects in the peripheral nervous system are go the opposite way of the drug, the condition effects, and the effects in the central nervous system go in the same direction. This was discovered by uh, Jane Stewart from Gordian University. Her idea of dividing drug effects into central versus peripheral nervous system effects is a pretty useful way to look at stuff. She's very smart. So these conditioning effects in the central nervous system let's say for example you go to take a drug your brain gets your peripheral nervous system rather gets ready for it so for example let's say you're taking heroin your body basically your peripheral nervous system your brain gets ready for it your peripheral nervous system is ready for it so that you take the drug and you don't get as much of a high and you don't get as much of a high because you're in the wrong situation when I say wrong it's not the same situation you were in when you were taking heroin before Let's say you just arrived back to the, from oh, I don't know, the Vietnam War. And you used to take heroin in Vietnam because it was all over Vietnam. You can't get a job, you feel horrible about fighting in a war, you didn't want to fight in, blah blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 that, whatever. And if I oh, I don't remember, I remember we used to take We Feel Good Back in Vietnam, heroin. You score some heroin, you take the same amount you would normally take in Vietnam, your body isn't ready for it, and it kills you it's an overdose so your peripheral nervous system isn't ready isn't pulling the other way enough to get you ready and you die your heart stops it's called the shooting gallery effect because people used to say people took drugs in a shooting gallery Happily, drugs aren't used in the military anymore. Or anywhere else. It's not nearly the problem. Questions about this stuff? All right, we got done a little early. That's okay, we're on track. Also, I expect to get done a little early because most of this was review. See you guys next time. We'll start talking about dependence and addiction. Again, really fun stuff and really, 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 really not depressing at all. Thanks, everyone.
1: Things have been okay for me, except that I'm a zombie now. I really wish you'd let us in. I think I speak for all of us when I say I understand why you folks might hesitate to submit to our demand. But here's an FYI. I mean, no one's going to eat your eyes. All we want to do is eat your brains. We're at an impasse here. Maybe we should compromise. If you open up the door. Bigger picture stuff But Tom, that's what I do And I plan on eating you slowly All we want to do is eat your brains We're not unreasonable I mean, no one's gonna eat your eyes mine you open up the door we'll all come inside time. <laughs> the doors I guess we'll table this for now I'm glad to see you take constructive criticism well thank you for your time I know we're all busy as hell and we'll put this thing to bed when I bash your I mean, no one's going to eat your eyes. All we want to do is eat your brains. We're at an impasse here. Maybe we should compromise. You open up the door. We'll all come inside and eat your
2: brains. Thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, I hope you learned something, but if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each, uh, song for each, uh, uh, episode <laughs> lecture, uh, is, uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me and I'll find, uh, I'll find out, um, Often I put links, uh, actually, in the uh, if we call them show notes or blog posts. So, uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're, they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks, everybody, we'll see you next time.